said greatness isn't about being recognized and lauded over by others. It's about serving others. It's not about being first in the group. It's actually about being considered last or the servant of all in the group. Hi, my name is Michael Tuck, and I'm the associate pastor here at Bacon's Castle Baptist Church. We are a local church in Surrey, Virginia, dedicated to making disciples of Jesus Christ. This is the weekly podcast that we put out for our local church family and the church as a whole. We hope you enjoy this week's podcast. Mark chapter 9, beginning with verse 30. A college uh, senior took his girlfriend to a football game, and the young couple was seated in the crowded stadium, and they were watching the action, and a substitute running back came out onto the field to take his position. And the boy leaned over to his girlfriend and, uh, and he said, take a look at this man. I expect him to be our best man next year. The girlfriend snuggled closer and said to the surprised young man, that's the strangest proposal I've ever heard, but I accept. <laughs> Misconceptions happen. You keep thinking about that if you didn't get it, all right? Uh, Misconceptions happen, and the disciples are not immune to misconceptions. And so this morning, I think Jesus wants to address, in the text that we're going to put before ourselves, that he wants to address three misconceptions that I believe the disciples have. And, And maybe these misconceptions are still around at some level for us today. And so we're going to seek to see what the Lord says to them about what I believe uh, they are wrongly understanding. And I'm going to call this first one a messianic misconception. Or as I asked you to do a couple of weeks ago, I'm going to call this a misconception about the chosen one. The prevailing thought of Jesus' day was that the chosen one, that would be the Messiah or the Christ, depending what language you're speaking, would rally an army, they would cast off the yoke of slavery to Rome, and by war and power, the Messiah, the chosen one, would destroy his enemies. But that was a misconception. It wasn't correct. This is not the first time, nor will it be the last time, that Jesus seeks to correct his disciples' misunderstandings. Uh, Jesus did not come at that time to conquer Rome militarily. He did not come to rule over the world by force and power. Jesus did come to inaugurate his kingdom, to, to start it, if you would. And, and it would indeed conquer the world, but it would conquer the world not by human power and might, but it would conquer the world by his love and by the transforming power of his, of his Holy Spirit. So we're going to pick up Mark chapter 9, verse 30. Then they left that place and made their way through Galilee, but he did not want anyone to know it. That would be Jesus did not want anyone to know it, for he was teaching his disciples and telling them, the Son of Man is going to be betrayed into the hands of men, and they will kill him. And after he is killed, he will rise three days later. But they did not understand the statement, and they were afraid to ask him. And once more, Jesus says to his disciples, my kingdom will come through my death. My kingdom will come through my suffering. My kingdom will come through my laying down my life and then me picking it back up in the power of my resurrection. He would lay down his life in death. God would give him his life back in resurrection. And he's giving us the promise that he would do the same for us. Jesus, the first fruits, we're the 
second fruits or the final fruits or whatever fruit we might be at his return. At his, at his return, we will be risen from the dead as he was. But the disciples, listen, could not process this because of their misconception. They could not understand this. What they believed was wrong, and it was keeping them from seeing the truth. So in Acts chapter 17, Paul went into the synagogue, it says. This is the synagogue of, of Thessalonica. And, uh, and on three Sabbath days, and I'm reading from 17 verse 2, on three seven days, Acts 17, he reasoned with them from the scriptures, explaining and proving that it was necessary for the Messiah to suffer and rise from the dead. This Jesus I am proclaiming to you, Paul said, is the Messiah. Now the Jews, the Jews who were so against this understanding of Messiah, they could not fathom an idea that Messiah would die and suffer. It went a counter against everything they had been taught and everything they had learned. And uh, so instead of being willing to even consider what Paul was saying about Messiah, the scripture says that they sought to kill Paul and they ran him out of town. The book of Acts continues on. And 15 miles down the road, he goes to Berea. And there he shares the same message. It doesn't tell us exactly what he preaches, but I'm assuming, and again, maybe this is wrong for me to assume this, but I'm assuming that he's preaching the very same message to the Bereans, right? That the Christ, the Messiah, must suffer and die and rise again, and Jesus is this Messiah, all right? And it says, the people here were of more noble character than those in Thessalonica, since they received the word with eagerness. Well, what word would that be? That would be the word that Messiah was going to suffer and die and rise again. And it says, and examining the scriptures daily to see if these, and examined the scriptures daily to see if these things were so. So the chosen one, Paul says, is Jesus. Then Jesus didn't come to defeat Rome. He came to die. And the Bereans said, well, wait a minute, that can't be right. But it says they were more noble-minded than the Thessalonians because they searched the scripture to see whether these things were true or not. And, and so it doesn't tell us, but I'm assuming that as they searched the scriptures, they realized that Paul was right. That Isaiah 53, that other passages that talked about Jesus giving up his life, those things were true. And they came to believe that Paul was right, that Jesus was the Messiah. Now in the text that we have before us in Mark, it tells us that the disciples did not understand. But they were afraid to ask Jesus about these things. And, uh, and I wonder why they were afraid. You wonder why they were afraid? I think I know why they were afraid. Because remember, not too long ago, Peter pulls Jesus aside when he says the same thing, and he says, you gotta stop talking like this. And, 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 what, did, and, and what did Jesus say to Peter? Get thee behind me, Satan. Get thee behind me, adversary. And, and so I imagine that the disciples are a little gun shy, right? They're a little gun shy, and they don't want to make the same mistake. So they're too scared to ask Jesus what he means. They do not understand. So I have two applications from this. I, I added this application right here. I think it's actually the truer application of the text or the direct application from the text. And it's this. You and I should believe that God's plan from the beginning was that the chosen one would suffer and die for us. 
that that was God's plan from the very get-go, that Jesus would come and he would actually die for you and he would actually suffer for me and he would actually rise again for all of us. This is the good news. This is the good news uh, of the kingdom, that Jesus would make a way for all of us to be a part of his kingdom by actually dying for us. And his righteousness, his completion of the law perfectly added to his death and his resurrection would suffice to purchase for every one of us the forgiveness of all the wrongs that we've done. Let's be honest, everyone. Everyone in this room is broken. We are broken people. You know, it's, it's easy for us to find the more broken among us, maybe, or for us to look at the more broken and say, well, he's more broken or she's more broken than me, so I'm okay. But I'm telling you what, about everybody in this room, we're all broken. We all need Jesus. And Jesus broke himself for us so that all of us could experience a transformation of life and, and renewal of life. And then in the end, resurrection from the dead, which gives us eternal life. And so this morning, I'd like to ask you, if you have the wrong understanding of Jesus, would you put your faith in Jesus today? Would you understand that Jesus died for you and would you trust him? Would you follow after him? That's the application from here. Even if your misconception was different than theirs, if you've misunderstood that Jesus would die for you so that you might be forgiven, would you put your faith in Jesus today, this very moment, and begin to follow him? But I think there's another application um, in this this little event, um, and it's an application I'd like to share with you. It'd be this. When something you believe is challenged biblically by the apostles' teaching, when the apostles come along and they, they, somebody says, the apostles are teaching this and it's different than what you may have understood, don't be scared to ask Jesus to help me understand this. Whether to dismiss it or to embrace it, ask Jesus to be your teacher by his spirit because the spirit will lead us into all truth. He'll lead us into all truth. So, you know, search the scriptures. Don't be afraid. Don't be afraid to search the scriptures for truth and let God's truth stand and lead you and follow the word of God wherever it leads you, whatever it costs you. Let me move on to my second, or I I believe the second misconception that Jesus is going to address. And I'm gonna call this one a greatness misconception. The disciples had a misconception of importance or what makes a person great. So look at verse 33. They came to Capernaum. They'd been traveling. Uh, When he was in the house, he asked them, what were you arguing about on the way? But they were silent because on the way, they had been arguing with one another about who was the greatest. You know, I, I don't know if you're watching The Chosen or not, but I think they picture it pretty well. You know, when you're traveling with a group of of 13 men, right? And you're walking. You're not going to be walking in this little round bunch like this, right? You're going to be spread out. And I'm, gonna, I'm assuming Jesus is at the lead. Maybe he's not. Maybe he's at the rear. But, but as you're walking, they're walking. And, and the disciples are arguing amongst themselves. Or they're, they're, they're discussing who's the greatest among them. Now, this is my speculation uh, well, first let me say this. I, I'm imagining that as they are arguing over this, Jesus isn't with them. I mean, he's at one end or the other, and they think he's not listening to them. 
but he's obviously listening to them. And they're arguing over who's the greatest. And here's my speculation. They're arguing because of the Mount of Transfiguration. That would be my, that's why I'm speculating they're arguing over the greatest. And it could be that all 12 of them are arguing, I'm the greatest, I'm the greatest, I'm the greatest, right? It could be that. I don't think so. I think what they're doing is they're arguing over who's the greatest, whether it's John or Peter, maybe. And so they're rallying behind Peter being the greatest or John being the greatest. You remember Paul, Paul talks about in the letter to the Corinthians, he says, you know, people were lining behind Paul or they were lining behind Peter. We, we tend to do that. We tend to line up behind someone, right? And uh, so when they get to where they're going, Jesus says, hey guys, what were y'all talking about on the road? What were y'all discussing? And they clam up and they clam up because they know, they know in their hearts that what they were discussing was sin, was not right. In other words, their desire to be the greatest, they understood that wasn't right. So verse 35 says, sitting down, Jesus called the 12 and said to them, if anyone wants to be first, he must be last and the servant of all. And Jesus shatters their misconception. He, he, he breaks it all apart. Group. It's actually about being considered last or the servant of all in the group. The people of this world, Jesus will later tell his disciples, they determine greatness by how many people serve you, how many people put you up on a pedestal. He says, I'm telling you, that is a misconception of greatness in my kingdom. In my kingdom, that's not how we determine who is great. Greatness will be determined by how many people you serve, by what kind of servant you are, what kind of servant's heart you have. And, and by the way, let me back Let me back off of a statement I just made. It's not about how many people you serve. It's about the heart you have to serve. Because you might be in a spot where you can serve lots of people. You might be in a spot that you can only serve your children. But it's about, it's about having a heart to serve. That's what Jesus says makes you great. So here's Jesus comparing the great religious people of his day to his disciples. This is Matthew 23, just listen. Everything they do, Jesus said, is just to show off in front of others. They even make a big show of wearing scripture verses on their forearms and uh, on their foreheads and arms, and they wear big tassels for everyone to see. They love the best seats at the banquet and the front seats in the meeting places. And when they're in the market, they like to have people greet them as their teachers. But none of you should be called a teacher. You have only one teacher, and all of you are like brothers and sisters. Don't call anyone on earth your father. All of you have the same father in heaven. None of you should be called leader. The chosen one is your only leader. Jesus is our only leader. Whoever is the greatest should be the servant of the others. If you put yourself above others, you will be put down. If you humble yourself, you will be honored. The fact that the disciples wanted to be considered great and they wanted to be considered great as in like the first amongst the equals shows that they had a deep misconception of what greatness in Jesus' kingdom looked like. Looked like. So verse 36, Jesus took a child and had him stand among them. And taking him in his arms, he said to them, whoever welcomes one little child such as this in my name welcomes me. And whoever welcomes me does not welcome me, but him who sent me. Now, Jesus did this on more than one occasion. And I mean, I've got a, I got a mind's eye picture. I don't know that it was like this, but I got a mind's eye picture of Jesus sitting and, and that child 
in his, in his lap and him wrapping his arms around that child as he talks to his disciples. And that's the picture I've got. Now, whether it's exactly how it was, I don't know, but it says taking him in his arms. I don't think, he, I don't think he's crating him like a baby. I think he's pulling him in like you would a little child. And, and, and then Jesus says to them, he says to his disciples, greatness is when you're willing to welcome a little child like this. Now, we need to put ourselves back in Palestinian times of Jesus' day. And children had so few rights in those days. They were often sold as slaves. They were sold by their parents as forced laborers. Um, there was no glory in welcoming a child. Caring for children offered no grandeur, no prestige, no promise of power. However, Jesus says greatness is measured by the one who will give himself for children. That ought to speak to us. All of you that serve teaching our children. I mean, you ought to listen because he's talking about you here and your servant's heart for children. There's no grandeur in that. There's no, there's no power. There's no position that you have with adults when you have maybe a teaching position or you're welcoming adults. But he says, you, greatness in my kingdom is measured when you're even willing to accept and, and, and bring into your life little children and invest yourself in little children. So I think the application for us on this misconception is really, really simple. Greatness in the kingdom of Jesus comes about by humility and servanthood, which is the antithesis to greatness in the world. Greatness in the world says, hey, when people laud you, when people recognize you, when people put you up front, man, that's greatness, man. When you got power over people, that's greatness. Jesus says, no. Greatness in my kingdom is, is loving the Lord enough to care for children. It's painting the walls. It's raking the leaves. It's sharing Jesus with your neighbor. It's out visiting the needy in his name when, when no one sees you. Wendy and I were in the new members class this morning, and, uh, and, and Wendy pointed something out to me that I knew, but it was really neat to hear her point it out. She said, she said, you know, in all the other churches that I've been a part of, people are always, they're asking for money so that we can pay people to do all the service things in the church. And she said, this is different. I, I've never been to a church, I think she said I've never been to a church where the people are doing the service like this. You know, so yesterday we're, we're offering our building to some sorority of ladies and so they were here in the morning and so several of you and, and I apologize for this you cleaners came and we hadn't informed you they'd be here so you weren't able to clean but but I was I was here like 12 30 something like that to turn off stuff and when I came in here I, I found I don't know if I should name them or not we're gonna take away their glory but you know who you are right I come in the I come in the building and there's cleaners here and they're cleaning the building and then I get a notification on my phone that somebody's breaking in and I look and it's a little old man sneaking in the building at eight o'clock last night, last night and he's sneaking in to clean. He's sneaking in to clean. And then I show up at six o'clock this morning and every light's on in the building and I go, there they go again. They don't turn the lights off. And there's a car out in front that I don't really recognize and six o'clock in the morning this morning there's a little cleaner in here cleaning because they couldn't clean yesterday. And you know who you are. Here, here's my point. The great ones in the kingdom we serve. And it doesn't have to be cleaning the building. It's mowing the grass. And, and it's not even, even doing those servant things here. It's, it's when you serve someone 
you serve someone in Jesus' name and a simple little thing out there, not, not even in here, it's out there. When you're serving someone and you're giving them a cup of water, as we'll see in a moment, when you're giving them a cup of water in Jesus' name, that is greatness in the kingdom. So, uh, man, let me ask you, are you a great one in Jesus' kingdom? You know, I, this isn't in my notes, but I, I, I came to this conclusion this morning when I was kind of getting ready I want to challenge you to be great in the kingdom. Jesus, Jesus isn't saying, don't be great in my kingdom. I don't want any great people in my kingdom. That is not what he's saying. He's saying, be great in the kingdom. Just don't be great in the kingdom the way the world judges greatness, which is you're at the top of the pinnacle and everybody's serving you. He says, everybody be great in the kingdom by, by being the servant of all of us. No, don't look out for your own interests, but look out for the interests of others. Prefer others as more important than yourselves. Let's go to the third misconception, and it, it springs from an attempt by the disciples to keep someone else from serving the kingdom in Jesus' name. And I'm calling this one the who's in misconception. Verse 38. John said to him, teacher, I don't know if he's changing the subject or if these are just lumped together by Mark. But John said to him, teacher, we saw someone driving out demons in your name, and we tried to stop him because he wasn't following us. And John is not speaking for himself. He's speaking for all the disciples there. And the reason I know that, the reason I know that he's speaking for all the disciples is because he says, we saw him. We tried to stop him, right? It's, so it's, it's a group of them, if not all of them. And their reasoning for stopping him is because he's not a part of our group. Now here's some things that I want you to note about, about this man, about this mysterious guy. And these are about all things, the only things that I can think we can note about him. He was successful at casting out demons. That's what it says. He was successful at it. He was driving out demons in Jesus' name. Here's the second thing I know about him. He was a follower of Jesus. You say, well, how do you know that? It doesn't say that. I know that because in Acts chapter 19, some Jews try to cast out demons in Jesus' name and in Paul's name, right? Seven sons of Sceva were who they were, and they were Jewish, and they were using Paul in Jesus' name. And it says that the evil spirit answered them and said, Jesus I know, and I know about Paul, but who are you? And then the man who had the evil spirit jumped all over and empowered them, and they ran, and gave them a beating, and they ran out of the house naked and bleeding. So you see what? If you don't know Jesus, you can't cast out demons. You can't just use his name like a, like a, like a genie's name or a, what do you call it, a, a magical charm, right? So this guy obviously knew Jesus, and here's the third thing we know about him. He was not part of their larger group. And what I mean by that, he's not part of the 12. We obviously know that, right? But he's not part of the larger group of 70 and other people that Jesus would send out, right? Because the disciples say he's not part of us. So they tried to stop him. And why? Why would they try to stop him? Because they believe, listen, and, and I don't know if it's, I don't know why they just came to this conclusion. I'm going to give them pure motives. But they thought he doesn't have a right to do the kingdom work because he's not part of us. He's not part of our group, so he doesn't have the right to do this. And that is the misconception. And in verse 39, Jesus says, don't stop him, because there is no one who will perform a miracle in my name, who can soon afterwards speak evil of me, for whoever is not against us is for us. Jesus corrects them. He says, don't stop him, because he's for us. And I might add that Jesus is trying to say, he's not part of our group, but he's with us. Now, when I was young, 
the church was much more compartmentalized than it is today. There was an us and a them, right? But the us and the them, you know what the them was? It was all the other Christians of a different stripe. All the other Christians that met in a different place or you know, had a different distinctive. Denominational distinctives were really, really important back when I was young. You may have heard the story about the guy who goes to heaven and the attendant at the gate there says, uh, hey, what denomination were you? And he says, well, I was a Methodist. And he said, well, go to room 24, but when you go by room eight, be really, really quiet. The next guy shows up, he says, what denomination are you? He says, I'm Lutheran. He says, hey, well, you're in room 18, but when you go by room eight, please be really, really quiet. The third guy shows up, he says, how about you? What denomination are you? The guy says, Presbyterian. He says, well, you're, you guys are in room 11, but when you uh, go by room eight, please be really, really quiet. And the guy says, hey, man, I get this thing about every denomination having a room. He said, but why do we got to be quiet when we go by room eight? He said, because that's where the Baptists are, and they think they're up here all by themselves. <laughs> That's an old, old joke, right? Um, Jesus' answer is, he who is not against me is for me. Just because others in the kingdom are not working side by side with you or side by side with me or side by side with us does not mean that they're on another team. Does not mean they're on another team. Beloved, the kingdom is vast and it's made up of lots of people who love Jesus. And, and, and they can be very different than you and me. And they actually can be wrong about quite a few things. When I was in seminary, I, I did not go to a Baptist seminary. And um, I went to a Baptist seminary for a while, but my, my main master's work was done at a, 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 just an evangelical seminary that was not associated or affiliated with any denominational group. And I've told you this story many times, so forgive me if you've heard it so many times, but it super impacted me, and it impacted me because there was, if you don't know these terms, just trust me, they're very different. There was reformed people at my seminary, and there was free will, Baptist people at my seminary. And there was Lutherans, and Baptists, and Presbyterians, and I mean, the, 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 teaching, the teaching staff ran the gamut of, of all the church. And you know what was really impactful to me about my seminary experience? All of those men and women, they deeply loved each other in spite of all of their tremendous differences. And uh, that impacted me greatly. God uh, has many people who are not a part of my group. Did you know that 100 years ago, 80%, and I may have told you all this last week, but 80% of all followers of Jesus, 80% of them were in the global north. I think, that, I think that's the equator line is the global north, global south, I think. But they were called, they're called the global north, 80% of them, 20% of the church, of those who followed Jesus, was in the global south. That means that 80% of the church pretty much looked like me, was out of a western civilization, they pretty much acted like me, their worship other than denominational distinctives and that kind of stuff. They, they were very much like me, 80%. Do you know the church today is 60% is in the global south? Only 40% is in the global north. You could say, well, that's just because the global south is being reached and many, many people are coming to Jesus. And that is true. That is exactly what's happening. But the global north is shrinking as well as many people abandon Jesus 
to embrace secularism and, 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 and an atheistic worldview. By 2050, 75% of the church will live in the global south. So almost uh, 150 years later, we will almost have reversed where 80% was in the north, 20 in the south. It's going to be 75 and 25, they say, by 2050, unless the Lord changes something. And here's my point in telling you all that. You may not realize it, but our brothers and sisters in the south, they look different than you and me. And they act different than you and me. And, uh, and they worship different than you and me. And they see things different than you and me. If you've ever been outside the global north into the church in the global south, you would know that. They're very, very different than us, right? And here's my point. I'm not saying we're right and they're wrong or they're right and we're wrong. I'm just simply saying God's spirit leads us and we, and we, trust, we trust that he's at work in his greater body of Christ, greater body of, of the church. And Jesus reminds them, and I think he's reminding us today, that anyone who sees a miracle, who has a part in a miracle that happens in Jesus' name, will not soon turn against Jesus. The man or woman who sees the transforming power of Jesus in their life or in somebody else's life, they are not going to really turn away from Jesus very, very quickly because they've seen Jesus at work. So Jesus goes on in verse 41, and whoever gives you a cup of water to drink in my name because you belong to the chosen one, truly I tell you, he will never lose his reward. Jesus goes on to say that any believer anywhere who does anything for the cause of Christ, even as simple as giving just a cup of water to someone who's thirsty in Jesus' name, will receive approval from the Father. God notices the, the cups of water that you give out in Jesus' name. God notices the little things that you do. Last week, Larry was, we were talking, and Larry was telling me about, and I, I'm going to use his name. I don't, I don't think he's here, so I can talk about him. Anyway, Larry, Larry told me about being in Smithfield and seeing this, this guy on a bicycle, and he's, he's got a little trailer behind it, and it's heavy, and he's pushing it through Smithfield. And uh, he uh, goes on home, and he gets, about, he gets home, and then uh, his wife comes uh, in a little bit later, and she goes, hey, did you see that guy on Route 10? And Larry said, what are you talking about? She says, there's a guy on a, pushing a bicycle with a trailer on Route 10. She says, he's going to get killed. Larry immediately recognizes that the guy that was in Smithfield, he goes and gets his truck and his trailer and he goes and picks the guy up and takes him to, uh, to the ferry because that's where the guy wants to go, right? Here's my point. And my point's not to, I don't know, swell Larry's head, but to say this is, you know, it's the little things that we do in Jesus' name it's the little things that we do, and this is going to fit on my last point, wouldn't it, about serving, right? It's the little things that we do in Jesus' name that he notices those things. So it, it, it's, we're always looking for the big thing, the big heroic thing. Jesus notices the little things we're doing, like, like, like watching the nursery mom to mom, cleaning bathrooms. He notices all those things, and, and the disciples are trying to stop 
these guys for all the wrong reasons. Man, I'm realizing that my notes aren't really flowing. So I'm realizing that, and I like them to flow. This would all have been better on the other points. So I don't know what happened to me, right? But uh, my, my point here is I think I've gotten lost because Jesus goes on to say, hey, listen, anybody who's in any, who's working in the kingdom, who does any little thing for Jesus, God notices it, and we should notice it as well. Disciples, I don't know why they were trying to stop this guy. Maybe, maybe for some of the following reasons, I thought about this. Maybe they wanted to stop him because they wanted it to be about them. I'm going to give them the benefit of the doubt and say that these aren't the reasons, but these are the reasons a lot of times we don't want someone else, you know, because we're insecure, we're prideful. Too many times we want to control, um, you know. I don't know if any of those were their reasons, but Jesus says, don't stop them. Don't stop them. They're with me. So the application here for us, I think, is simple. The kingdom of God is much bigger than our group, just our church. So let's stand with brothers and sisters who are part of different groups but are still part of God's kingdom working together. Hear hear the truth, beloved, and you better understand this. The darker our culture gets, the darker our culture gets, the more we're going to need each other as believers and the more... You know, those, those div- divisive lines that we've drawn, they're, and again, I'm, I'm, I want to qualify everything I'm saying so people don't run with it to the end. But, but I'm, I'm, I'm trying to tell you, listen, the darker our culture gets, the more important your brothers and sisters will be, whatever stripe they are. In 2008, the persecution broke out in India against the Christians by the radical Hindus. It's still going on. But it broke out in one section of India that was really, really predominant. And, and, uh, and here's what happened because of that. It said many, many, Christ, many, many people came to, Christ, to Christ because of that persecution. But what it did for the church was it revived their faith. I mean, it grew their faith. And Bishop D.K. Sahu told Christianity Today, he said, the Orissa violence, although it has been devastating, has been an awakening to the church bodies and has evoked the need for greater unity and fellowship. The greater darkness around us, the less, uh, the less division is going to, uh, to divide us and separate us. So let's love our brothers and sisters in Jesus now outside of our groups. Let's recognize the body of Christ to be bigger than just just us. All right, I'm done. Quick refresher as I bring this to an end. Believe on the Lord Jesus that his suffering was for you. Be teachable. Let the apostles' teaching lead you. Be great. Be a servant. And number four, embrace the larger body of Jesus. That was my goal. Let's walk it out. Thank you so much for listening this week. If you have any questions, you can email them to Pastor Jimmy at baconscastle.com. Also, check us out on YouTube and Facebook to get to know us and see what God is doing here in Surrey. Be blessed. Be blessed.